Okay, so we're going to be in chapter 39 tonight. And by the way, I'm standing in for for Miguel, Mickey. Uh, he was going to be here tonight, and I think he... Is he having a birthday or something? I think he might be having a birthday or something like that. But anyway, uh, wonderful opportunity. So he and I talked about this chapter a little bit. So tonight, let's open up with this with a premise. Hold on to this premise. In the premise, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote some scripture, so it's based in scripture. So if we look at Timothy two second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a basic fundamental rule that we should all hold fast to when reading scriptures. God has a reason and a purpose, and as Jesus said, for every jot and tittle in this book. Nothing's wasted here. We might think that it is sometimes, but it's not. You just need to stop and think and ask God to open your ears and share with you what it is he's trying to to get to you. And then let's look at Romans 15.4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we through the patience and and comfort of scriptures might have hope. This means that all context... Keep all context and keep a perspective on all that has occurred and will occur according to Scripture. Always looking forward, always looking back. Always. Keep it all in context. That's where the message is. The principles of context and perspective. As I prayed about this study, the word glean came to mind. Remember how Ruth gleaned in the fields until evening? We have, over the past weeks, studied chapters 20 through 39 of Exodus. Based on this premise, I felt compelled to approach this this chapter to try and glean, if you will, some of the not-so-obvious lessons for us. As we come to these closing chapters... The Spirit convinced me that it would be a good idea for us to, again, glean some things from the edges of this harvest that we've had. As we read these scriptures in chapter 39, just as they are, we will come away with a good technical understanding of what it took to make the garments in the tabernacle. But there are some things between the line that we ought to dig into for application to for our daily walk with the Lord. I prayed for guidance and understanding from the Spirit to see the big picture of God's purpose and plan here in Exodus with the Israelites. So with our study tonight, I would like for us to focus on not just on the material nature of the garments and the material nature of the tabernacle, but on God's plan the big picture, and his purpose. It's execution and how the Israelites play, played their part and their role. And then, 
an application for us in our daily walk with the Lord today. As we come to the end of the book of Exodus, let's glean a perspective on all that has occurred. So let's read the verses, Exodus 39, 1 through 43. The making of the garments of the priesthood. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry. For ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. The making of the ephod. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at at its two edges. And the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, as the Lord God had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as, a, as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. In the making of the breastplate. And he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it a span. Um, let me stop right there for a moment. So a span, I believe, is, I think this is a, a span. So you think about that, that breastplate that hung on the ephod. It was a span and a span square. So it was something like that. A span was its length, and a span its width when doubled. And they set in it four rows of stones, a row with a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald was the first row. Did I get that one? Uh, let's see, a, a row uh, with a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald was the first row. The second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold in their mountings. There were 12 stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the 12 tribes. And they made chains for the breastplate at the ends like braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings. And they put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two braided chains of gold in the two, rent, two rings on the ends of the breastplate. The two ends of the two braided chains they fastened into the two settings. 
and they put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in front. And they made the two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which was on the inward side of the ephod. They made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps and underneath the ephod and toward its front. The right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod and they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with the blue cord so that it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod and the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. So they have the ephod and they've got the breastplate and it's attached the top and bottom um, to the to the stones. Making of other priestly garments. He made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe, like the opening in a coat of mail. With the woven binding all around the opening, so it could not tear. They made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and of the woven linen. And they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around the pomegranates. So a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and a sash of fine woven linen with blue purple and and scarlet thread, made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold. And wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And they tied it, and they tied to it a blue cord to fasten it above on the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. The work completed. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent meeting was finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. And the covering of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of badger skins, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles, and the mercy seat, the table, all of its utensils, and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps. All its utensils and the oil for light, the gold altar, the anointing oil and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grate of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the laver with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, the screen of the court gate, its cords and its pegs. All of the utensils for service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry to minister in the holy place. 
the holy garments for Aaron the priest and his son's garments to minister as priests, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. So, in previous chapters, we talked a lot about the, the tabernacle and all the things that had to be put together and the colors and all. And so here, it's all assembled now. This is where they actually did the work and put it all together. In verse 1, Moses reminds us of those special colors used in the production of the garments. In fact, the colors are a theme throughout the tabernacle and the garments. The colors and material used to produce the garments are all with meaning and purpose and point to the coming of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. For the Israelites at that point, they have represented the heavenlies. It may have represented the heavenlies, God's royalty, his eternal immutability, and the blood sacrifice of bulls and goats. But we know, we know today, right? Without doubt, they point to our great high priest, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice for once and for all time. So, all of those colors, everything that was put together, had meaning. Had meaning for the Israelites, had meaning for us today. No doubt about it. The making of the breastplate and ephod, that's in verses 2 to uh, 31. In 2 to 6, Moses details the actual assembly of the, v, the ephod. And in verses 8 through 21, the breastplate. In verse 22 through 31, the making of the other garments are described. And again, all the art items are symbolic of the burden of the high priest. For example, the onyx stones. Um, engraved with the tribe's names represent the weight of the nation that the high priest would have to offer sin atonement for once a year. So they said high priest, right? So Aaron was the high priest, but he carried on his shoulders those stones with all the names. So he carried his responsibility was to offer atonement for the nation. He had to do that. That was his his accounting. The stones carried on the priest's shoulders. The stones of the breastplate were worn over over the heart. So we, we talked about the stones on the shoulders. Now we're talking about the uh, stones that were in the breastplate. The precious stones of the breastplate were worn over the heart. And that's symbolic. Because the priest is carrying the, the names of the children of Israel over his heart. The Urim and Urim, I have trouble with this one. The Urim and Thummim were tucked inside the breastplate. So their breastplate was, you know, the span and the span. It had a, it was like a pocket. Now, if you, if you look at scripture, you won't see the Urim and Thummim, Thummim mentioned very much. But we know from scripture that it was, it was a, a way for the priest to gain um, understanding 
and answers from the Lord. That's what they used it for. And we, there's a lot of conjecture. You read different texts and different commentaries. Say it was stones. Others say um, they don't really know what it was. I believe the words Urim and Thummim mean perfection and lights. So there are some publications that say those stones lit up in a certain way for the, for the uh, priest. I don't know. I couldn't find anything to substantiate that. Just a lot of conjecture. But one thing we do know is that the priest carried him, and he was responsible for the spiritual leadership and counseling of the Israel Israelites. So, if I think about it, um, the Urim and Thummim was kind of like the Holy Spirit, because he he needed guidance. He couldn't make those decisions by himself. He couldn't counsel people by himself. That had to come from the Lord. That had to come from from something more than him. It wasn't just a man. So that's why that stuff was carried in that breastplate. So I kind of see it as the Holy Spirit. And it was an awesome responsibility for the priests. The Israelites looked to the high priest to offer atonement once a year for their sins. He had to make an offering for himself and his family for the na- and for the nation. His work is detailed over in Leviticus. We won't go there tonight, but it's over in Leviticus 16. Uh, verses 4 through 25 kind of give you an idea of all the things he had to do. But we know he could die in the process if he didn't do things right. There's plenty of evidence of that in the scriptures. We know that Aaron's later on, we'll find out if we get over to those other books, we'll find that a couple of Aaron's sons didn't, didn't fare too well when they got outside of God's instruction on what they were supposed to do as priests. And uh, they didn't end up too well. So we know that this was... High responsibility, that's putting it lightly, and you could lose your life in the process. All of this was a shadow of the work of our great high priest accomplished on our behalf. He shed his own blood, his own precious blood, as atonement for all mankind once and forever. He emerged from death victorious and was resurrected to life and sits at the right hand of the Father. And makes intercession for us continually. Not just once a year. But continually. He carries. Not just the weight of Israel on his shoulders. Right? But Jesus carries the weight of all the nations. All the world. All the peoples of the world. Isaiah told us. And Jesus fulfilled it. He said. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, again, the priest in his garments, the breastplate, the onyx stones, and all the colors represent Jesus Christ. They point to Jesus Christ. They are a shadow. They were a shadow of what was to come. Jesus was the real deal. I'm not saying the priests weren't the real deal, but we know that Jesus is the real deal. But what of the production of these items? Now, we talk, 
we talked about the the gold uh, being beaten and the thin shreds. I think back in chapter 28, I think I mentioned that they could take, I forget what it was at this point, it was like an ounce of gold and beat it into a thread, like, I don't know, a quarter of a mile long or something. It really did a lot of work. But how did the artisans know of all this stuff? And what can we glean from this? I think there's a lesson to be learned here. We've touched on it a few times in our study over in Exodus 35, 31 through 33. It tells us, speaking of the workman, right? He, being he God, has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, silver and bronze in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and all and and to work in all manner of artistic craftsmanship. Again, I say there's a lesson for us. I think there's a lesson for us to learn here. So I looked up the definition of wisdom. So here's what I found. The quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment, the quality of being wise. And some synonyms that go along with this word wisdom are sagacity, I think that's sagacity, sageness, intelligence, understanding, insight, perception, perceptiveness. There's a whole bunch, just to give you an idea. Now, I don't think God just opened their heads up and poured that stuff in one morning. I mean, God could certainly do that, right? He could hit you with a bolt of lightning and all of a sudden you know a lot of stuff. I'm sure he could do it. But I don't think he did that. He doesn't work that way. And I can prove it. So look at, look at uh, Psalm 66.10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. There are many more scriptures on that subject, but the point is this. I don't think these guys, like I said, woke up one morning and said, oh, yeah, I know how to do all that stuff. I don't think it went down that way. However, what I do believe is God chose and placed certain people in the right place at the right time to learn these skills and techniques while in captivity in Egypt. He prepared them beforehand. You know, other proof of that? His, 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 um, God's philosophy and his approach to that? You know who a good example was? Joseph, right? Joseph, who was, right, sold into slavery. Sold into slavery. He eventually ran Egypt. And we know the story of Joseph. He, Joseph, he was here. He was there. He was in jail. He was in, was at Potiphar's house. He ran out of there from, from the wife. So we know the story of Joseph. But every time he was in those places, what did he do? He rose. He always rose. And the wisdom from Joseph is here. Here's what he said at the end of it all. What did he tell his brothers in Genesis fifty twenty? But as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Again, here's the point. So I, I'm asking you, when, when you're faced with a task or a challenge that you really don't want to do, do you ask the Lord for strength and guise and wisdom and guidance to get it done? Do you seek his will and purpose? Many of the storms in life are brought about by our Father to prepare us for the work ahead. A lot of the storms are, he's, he's getting us ready for heavy lifting. The great wave, you know how you see the ships on TV, you see them going up and down, and you see the wave out there, and it looks like it's just going to crash and just destroy the, sh the ship. The great wave that seems as though it's going to crash on you and wash you away just may pick you up and carry you to grace. Do you give thanks when it's accomplished? Do you, you ever, you, I know some of us have looked back over our shoulders and went like, whoa. I didn't understand what was going on then, but I know now. I know what the Lord was preparing me for. It's how he works. Do you acknowledge God's purpose when you look back over your shoulder only to see what he has prepared you for? The Lord gave the commands in chapters 28 to 31 to begin the work on the garments and the tabernacle. God said, you shall. He used the words, they shall, in his instructions to Moses. In chapter 39, we see those commands are executed. The words go from, you shall, they shall, to he made and they made. These are the words used. Right away, we see the accomplishment of God's purpose and command in that he told Moses, you shall. And Moses followed through and the people followed through. This principle of follow through on God's instruction is important for us to see and understand. It isn't always easy for us to walk in God's word. The old saying, easier said than done, may have application here. Now, a lot of events occurred between Exodus 1 and Exodus 39. Some of them not so good. Some of them wonderful, but some of them not so good. So, let's glean some more perspective and context in that. Knowing that so much has happened between then and the completion of the garments and the temple. And Moses looking it over and giving his blessing. A lot of stuff happens. So let's let's see what let's go forward. God set aside the Israelites as a special treasure. Look at Exodus nineteen, one and two. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, where they had departed from Rephidim. And had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So I say here, get the picture. They are fresh out of bondage. The waters, the seas were parted before them. Closed up on the Egyptian army behind them. And then God set a pillar of fire to guide them, guide them forward. 
So here they are, rescued and secure. What happens next? Look at verses 19, 3 through 6. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if, and I got this in red, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. This was a shadow of what Jesus has done for us today. Our great high priest has given us a better covenant and promise and opportunity. Peter explained it in 1 Peter 2, 9, through 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we, let's, let's keep it in context. God told the Israelites, what did he say? If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. So what does Jesus say? Jesus said, believe on him. That's what he asked us to do, to partake, right? Isn't that right? John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting light. Life. Now, Jesus asked us to do a couple of things. He says in Matthew 28, 20, go and make disciples of all the nations of everyone in the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, obey everything commanded you. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's given us, he's given us free access. He's given us free access. He says, believe on me. Believe on me. That's what he asks us. And then he asks us to do some, some work. He asks us to go out and make disciples and to carry that word throughout the world. Jesus goes a little bit further and he tells us how to execute on it. In John 13, 15 through 17, here's what he says. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then in John 15, 4, he says, the one thing he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Let me stop right there. So back up here in Matthew, he asked us to go into the world and spread the word. And down here, he's telling us, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So for you to accomplish the things that he's asked us to do and the things he's asked us to obey, 
You need to abide in Jesus. You need to abide. He in you and you in him. Unless it abides in the vine, neither fruit of, cannot of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the neat thing about that is, of course, the children of Israel, Moses told them what God said, follow my commandments and, and you'll have my blessings. But we have Jesus. He says, follow his commands. Do as he does. But he also says, you know what? If you abide in me and I in you, you can do this. He's telling you, you can do it. Because you can't do it by yourself. And we're going to find out the Israelites couldn't either. So I got to ask you one thing. I got a note here. And I have to ask myself this too, right? Is how are you doing in your execution for Jesus? Just a question. Carry that around with you. How are you doing? You meet people on the street. Things you're you're faced with certain things. How do you do in your execution? How do you handle it? Because he's always there. He's always there for you. God commands the Israelites to obey His words and statutes to receive His blessings. God through Moses shares His plan and purpose with the people. So He's told them. God's told them. You're going to be special to me. Do what I tell you to do. and will make you a, a, a great nation. You know, I'll beat up. I'll beat your enemies up and, and uh, I'll stand before you. So he, they know what he's, what's, what's going to happen. I mean, he just came out of bondage. He's telling them, don't worry about that anymore. Just follow me. I'll take care of you from here on in. He know his plan. So let me have, ask you this one now. Have you ever found yourself in a situation similar to the other Israelites? So when I, when I, what I'm saying here is when I was talking about back when they found themselves camped before Sinai, rescued and secured. Have you ever found yourself there? So here's, here's what I mean when, when I say, have you had a real storm in life? I have. And you just knew it was the end. I know there's some of us. I know I have. And I know there's some of us out there. And maybe some of us are facing those storms. It looked like it's just hopeless. And some of us are facing it. And some of us have come through those storms by the grace of God. And when you, when you, just when you thought it was hopeless, right, you prayed. And Jesus came to your rescue. Let me stop right there. Am I, am I the only one that's ever done that? Okay, okay. Jesus came to your rescue. You know he did. You know he did. And what was hopeless was now a victory. It was, it's beautiful. All is well. No, it's even better than before. Things are better than before. And in your best intentions, you commit to God's word to depend on him. What did you do? I tell you what I did. I failed. You know, I can tell you the Lord opened some doors before me. And uh, it was nobody but him. There's no way. Any, these, some of the things that happened couldn't have happened if his hand wasn't in it. He opened that door. And I walked through. And I had the best intentions. I had the best intentions. Oh, man. I'm like, 
Thank you, God. I, w- I had the best intentions. But let me tell you something. It's not automatic. You can't do it without God's help. He lets you through that door. The storm passes. You got to keep depending on him. You can't say, oh, I got through that one and let me just go on my way now. It don't work that way, right? X always says you can't be on cruise control. I went on cruise control. I did. You must be conscious and in the word and always listening to the Lord and his plan and purpose, lest you trip and fall. Now, I use that. I stole that from the Bible. Lest you trip and fall. But you will trip and fall. And it's so easy. You know, you can, you can, you're walking along sometimes. You know how you're walking along and, the, and there'll be that much, that much of the sidewalk raised and you trip on it. Same thing. You don't see it, but you, you, trust me, if you're not listening and not, not paying attention, you'll trip and fall. I fell off the wagon. But, but if you do, remember that God is gracious and merciful. When we fail, remember you have his promise through our great high priest, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, now watch. The Israelites are going to demonstrate for us. They had God's promise also. So if you look over in Exodus 23, 20 through 21, God tells them, Behold, I send an angel for you to keep you in the way and bring you in the place I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. We have the same promise, only better directly from Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So again, Ask yourself, do you abide? So what do the Israelites do knowing now God's promise and plan for them? I mean, should be pretty easy, right? I mean, there's, they've seen everything happen. Moses has come and told them. So I say here, let's, let's go forward a bit. And we find that after hearing all of God's instructions through Moses, You heard all the instructions. You heard God's purpose. And the Israelites confirmed the the covenant. What did they say? They said, we'll do all that you say. We can do it. In chapters 24 through 31, Moses gets all the detailed instructions for the work and materials. Are you and I like the Israelites? We have all the best intention of following through, but sometimes the flesh gets in the way of our execution. So now let's go forward to chapter 32, verse 7. I know I'm going around, but, you know, we, we know about the garments and we know about the tabernacle. So we just get between the lines here. So let's go over to chapter 32, verse 7, verse 7 through 10. All of those other good things that happened. Moses got all the instructions. They were at the foot of Sinai. He goes up there. He gets the he gets the uh, the tablets and everything. And here in chapter thirty-two, verse seven and through ten, what what happens? The, and the Lord said to Moses, "Go get down." And you know, there's an exclamation point in the Bible 
by those words. So he's like yelling at Moses, go get down for your people. And then he says right here, everybody catches this one, right? Your, your people whom you brought out of Israel, right? I mean, who you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute. Because we, 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 we know our God. He's gracious and merciful, long-suffering. Slow to anger. I think he was upset. After all he did. And they build a calf. Right? And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And indeed it, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them. And I will make a great nation of you. So I'm going to take them all out. And just you'll be left, Moses, and we'll start over again. Now, as I already said, we know the Lord uh, quickly disowned them by telling Moses, these are your people, and you brought them out. You brought them here. So this had to be a moment when Moses may have thought all was lost. After all, the God of all had said he was going to consume them. And Moses knew God was fully capable of doing it. So you can imagine how Moses felt. The Israelites would have been gone in a flash. All the plans for the the garments, the tabernacle, all the rules, the Ten Commandments, all gone. all All the worship instructions, all gone because of sin. In the blink of an eye, men had forsaken the commandments. The Israelites went on cruise control while Moses was on the mountain. Even Aaron, who was to become the high priest, right? This is the guy that's going to wear those, the ephod and the stones and have the urim and the thummim. He, 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 helped, he helped build the calf. He went sideways. And again, this is a moment when, when all seemed lost. So what did Moses do? He prayed. He appealed directly to God on behalf of the people. And Moses gave us an example of of the shadow of things to come. He laid down his own promise. He laid down his own desires. And his real desire was to intercede for the people. Now, over in John, there's a scripture. I can't think of the verse. The Spirit just recalled it from my memory. But I can't think of the verse. But over in John, Jesus makes a statement as as he's opening to the... the, um, his disciples. And, and this is when he knew he was going to go on the cross. He knew from this moment in that, that last supper right there. He knew. What did he say? I have desired. He's longed for that moment. Knowing that he was going to go on the cross. But he knew what he was about to do. He was about to save the world. And he desired to do it. This is the picture that Moses had. Everything is go- It's all gone. But he said he wanted to intercede for the people. And he could have said, I, I got mine. When the Lord said, I'll make you a great nation, Moses could have said, okay. You know, I know they're stiff-necked. I, I get it. 
but he didn't. And the result was that God relented from his wrath. So, question for us today is, how do we handle this kind of adversity? Particularly when it involves someone who is a non-believer. Do you intercede? We all want to see the rapture, right? We all want to be gone. We all want to be with Christ, and that's a wonderful thing. But we have work to do. In the book of Jude, which I like to call the corporate memo, that's kind of a play on words. It's a corporate memo to the church. Jude in verse 22 gives us a summation of what we should be doing. And here's what he says. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So there's going to be some awful things that you see people do and say out there. But you can't turn your back on them. You got to intercede for them and pray for them. Because there's people out there that that are in a bad way today. But you know what? You intercede for them. They'll hear. And they're going to come to, they're going to, come to Christ. The work completed. So now let's move over to verses 32 to 43. Moses gives an assessment and blessing on all the work that was executed. As the Lord had commanded. They did exactly as the Lord commanded them. Not close. Not nearly. But exactly. They executed. After falling. Flat on their faces. They said we can do all that you say. They fell flat on their faces. They insulted God. They built a calf. And gave the calf credit. For delivering them from Egypt. Right? He, they insulted him. So after all that, right, God gives him the strength to start over and carry out his commands. Make no mistake about it. It was not without consequences. And then Exodus 32, 33, the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot them out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they had did with the calf, which Aaron made. So, sin isn't without consequence. Even though the Lord, we have the Lord's promise of deliverance, sometimes the things you do will have consequences. But, If we stay true to him, he gives us the strength to carry on. He gives us the strength and the the motivation, if you will, to carry on, even in the face of that. So, let let me close. Some things that we, I think we should carry away from here in our daily walk from this chapter. You must always stay on point. Don't let the golden calf distract you from God's plan for you. He has a plan for each one of us. There's no doubt in my mind. He has a plan for each one of us. Um, You need to listen and seek his plan for you. He has a plan for you. No doubt. Stand the word and struggle to hear God's commands for the work he has set before you. And execute on them faithfully. Whatever he has given you, he will provide a way for you to do it. So sometimes it's like 
a mountain. But if you just focus on him, Lord, if you if you gave this to me to do, I'll go do it. But Lord, help me. And I'll tell you what, he will help you. There's no doubt about it. I've been there. No doubt about it. Sometimes you just want to turn away and go, I can't do this. But you know what? If you just stay focused on him, you find out, oh, I can do it. I did do it with the Lord's help. Remember, he's always in control, no matter how dark it gets. Remember that big old wave? If that thing is getting ready to crash on you, I'm telling you, you look around. I've been in a situation where I looked around, I looked, and I thought, this is horrible. This is hopeless. But I thought to myself, I know Jesus is here. He sees this, right? And the scene switches from that to one of victory. God will do it. Count on it. And then remember, we have a far better covenant than the Israelites did. I say did because Jesus died for all men. The Jews today, sooner or later, they're going to come around. Some of them. But Jesus died for all men. So I say did in, in retrospect, looking back. Our great high priest shed his own blood to atone for all men once and forever. He sits at the right hand of Father making intercession for us. So when you hit that little lip in the sidewalk and you trip and, you know, Jesus is he's there. I say, okay, get up. Let's, let's keep going. Don't stop. Let's keep going. And I have one final thought here. I just kind of added this on here. This is just me, my opinion. I'm inclined to believe that we owe the Israelites a degree of, of gratitude. From beginning to end, they have shown us how to and how not to. Like good parents, right? As parents, we try to lead our children in the ways they should go and avoid the pitfalls that we experience so they don't have to. I'm sure God intended it that way. So think about how our, me and you, how will our final chapter read? Will God say, Andre, you are a stiff-necked character. Or will he say, Andre, good and faithful servant. All right, let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for this this evening. Again, Lord, we thank you for the space and time. Thank you for your words that you have written to call out to us from the past, to educate us today, to teach us, to show us so that we do have confidence in you and your and your plan for us lord we thank you and we give you praise in jesus name amen, amen.